0: On substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. All right, everyone. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care. I am your host once again, Dr. Casey Grover. So, today we're gonna dive deep into benzodiazepine dependence and how to manage patients with benzodiazepine dependence in the emergency department and the acute care setting. And this is a particularly challenging problem. And I'll do my best to be evidence-based and also to highlight where we're lacking evidence. And for me, this is a problem that comes up a lot in the emergency department. So to get started, we're going to look at an overview article on the treatment of benzodiazepine dependence. And in fact, the title of the article is treatment of benzodiazepine dependence. It's written by Michael Soika, and it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in March of 2017. So a pretty good source when it comes to medical information. So the article begins with some background information on benzodiazepines and I thought it was a nice review. Benzodiazepines work by binding to sites on the gamma-aminobutyric acid type A receptor That's GABA, gamma, aminobutyric acid, and benzodiazepines potentiate the effects of GABA. GABA, as we all know, is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So in general, benzos produce an inhibitory or sedative effect on the brain. Now, benzos are broken into roughly two types. The first are the so-called anxiolytics, which reduce anxiety, and these tend to be the longer acting agents like clonazepam or clonopin and diazepam or valium. You also have the hypnotic agents, which tend to promote sleep, and these tend to be shorter acting agents like triazolam. The half-life in these medications is variable. Some are longer and some are shorter, and we'll talk about that in general. Benzodiazepines with a shorter half-life have a greater risk of dependence. Okay, so on to clinical uses of benzodiazepines. All benzodiazepines have the following effects, although each drug varies in the amount of each effect produced. So the first is they act as an anxiolytic or reducing anxiety. The second would be they act as a hypnotic, promoting sleep. The third is they act as muscle relaxants, although my take on this is that they more just kind of make you don't care that your muscles are tight or they kind of relax your whole body rather than doing anything specific to the muscles. And I often call that the whiskey effect. It's kind of like taking a shot of whiskey is the same effect as a benzodiazepine when it comes to muscle relaxation. Number four, because of the inhibitory effect on the brain, they act as anticonvulsants to suppress seizure activity. And then benzodiazepines also act as amnestics which reduce the ability to learn and recall new info. And that's something that's often used in the perioperative period, like midazolam, for example, before surgery. The author in this article says that benzodiazepines in general are safe for short-term use, about two to four weeks. However, 50% of people who use benzodiazepines for more than one month will become dependent. So again, that kind of two to four week range is really the danger zone when it comes to long-term benzodiazepine use, we want to avoid prescribing for longer than two to four weeks. As far as side effects, as we talked about, benzodiazepines are generally a downer. So you're going to have things like drowsiness, lethargy, fatigue, sedation, and poor concentration or attention. The other thing that happens as far as side effects is that when benzodiazepines are prescribed for certain symptoms like anxiety or insomnia, when you come off the medication, you get a rebound of these symptoms as a general sedative in the brain. Benzodiazepines can cause ataxia, impair reflexes and impaired judgment leading to an increased risk of auto accidents and falls. They also being sedatives suppress respiration which as we know is a contributor to overdoses and that overdose risk is extremely high when opiates and benzodiazepines are combined. Benzodiazepines may also be a bad choice for folks with sleep apnea or chronic respiratory conditions due to the suppression of respiration. And in the elderly in particular, benzodiazepines are notorious for causing cognitive dysfunction, delirium and ataxia, increasing the risk of confusion and falls. On to benzodiazepine dependence specifically, so it turns out that benzodiazepines actually have a unique potential for addiction. So the ventral tegmental area and nucleus accumbens are a part of the brain's reward network. Things that increase dopamine increase reward and have therefore an addictive potential turns out that benzodiazepines activate these dopaminergic neurons in the ventral tegmental area therefore making them potentially and uniquely addictive as far as the epidemiology of benzodiazepine dependence the author presents some pretty interesting data so 36% of patients with a new benzo prescription will continue to use it after 3 months 15% of patients with a new Benzo prescription will continue to use it at one year, 5% of patients with new Benzo prescriptions will continue to use it after eight years and 3% of the population uses them long term. So what you might think is an innocuous prescription for lorazepam, 5% of patients will be on that same drug in eight years. That to me is crazy. We really need to be careful with our starts. Risk factors for benzodiazepine dependence include a history of mental illness and a higher quantity of medication, specifically benzodiazepines taken. And interestingly, there appears to be a similar incidence of benzodiazepine dependence between men and women, though women use benzodiazepines as a class more often than men. When we talk about dependence, the flip side of dependence is withdrawal, meaning When you're taking the benzodiazepine, you feel okay, but what happens when you stop? And so the withdrawal syndrome of benzodiazepines is important because this is what we're talking about when we're talking about managing benzodiazepine dependence. We're either going to prevent withdrawal or we're going to manage withdrawal. And interestingly, withdrawal from benzodiazepines appears at different rates depending on which benzodiazepine you're taking. The shorter acting agents with short half-lives intuitively, it makes sense, you're going to develop withdrawal sooner, like at the two to three day mark after stopping. For longer acting agents with longer half-lives, and again, this makes intuitive sense, you're going to develop withdrawal more slowly and in a more delayed time frame, like five to 10 days after stopping because the drug stays in your system for longer. Now, what are the symptoms of benzodiazepine withdrawal? Mild withdrawal is mostly just gonna be rebound of symptoms that are suppressed by the medication like anxiety or insomnia. Moderate withdrawal is a little more intense. You may get physical symptoms like muscle tension, spasms, sweating, shivering, or paresthesias. You can also get psychological symptoms like anxiety, panic, restlessness, mood swings, or sleep disturbance. You can also get some other symptoms like tachycardia, appetite changes, derealization, photophobia, and even hyperacusis. And then the most important one to consider is severe withdrawal because this is the boogeyman. This is what we're trying to avoid by managing benzodiazepine dependence. We're trying to prevent severe withdrawal. It looks a lot like alcohol withdrawal So benzodiazepine severe withdrawal involves seizures, delirium, and psychosis. And that's a central point in this podcast, is with people who are dependent on benzos, we're trying to prevent severe withdrawal because it can be life-threatening. Now, the author then segues into looking at the treatment of benzodiazepine dependence. And the overview is that for patients with benzodiazepine dependence, They require a gradual taper over weeks to months off of their benzodiazepines to prevent seizures and withdrawal. The author highlights that there are multiple different ways to do this. One recommendation, which in my opinion is probably too fast, would be to decrease the dose by 50% per week. So going from 20 milligrams one week to 10 the next, to five the next, to two and a half the next, and so on. Other recommendations are much slower such as reducing the daily dose by 10 to 25% every two weeks. The author of this paper highlights that the time frame is going to be four to eight weeks for most patients on lower doses of benzodiazepines. And the author highlights in this article that about 30 milligrams of diazepam or an equivalent dose of benzos is considered low dose. So 30 milligrams or lower, you can do a shorter taper over that 30 milligrams of Diazepam or an equivalent dose daily, it's going to take longer. And we'll get into equivalencies of benzodiazepines later on in the podcast. And outside of this article asking one of our local addiction medicine experts, his practice is to do this over months simply because it can be very unpleasant for patients, particularly those with anxiety and insomnia who were on benzos in the first place to treat their anxiety and insomnia. Now, which benzodiazepines should you use when tapering people off of their benzodiazepines? And the answer is long-acting. Diazepam, as I talked about, has a really long half-life, so it may actually have the most advantageous pharmacology because the half-life is the longest. And this goes back again, that if you take diazepam on a Monday, you'll still probably have some in your system later in the week, even as far out as Friday. People, therefore, have an easier time tapering off their benzodiazepines with a long-acting benzodiazepine as opposed to a short-acting benzodiazepine. So long-acting benzodiazepines are the go-to here. It's also important to give patients a pre-specified taper. They can expect to go down 10% a week for 10 weeks or whatever it may be, as focusing on symptom-driven tapers may be more challenging, as patients often have a lot of fear and anxiety about tapering down. By giving them a pre-specified regimen, they just know what they're up against and what to expect. And then don't mix benzos. Pick a benzo and stay on it for your taper for patients with benzodiazepine dependence. Now, as we talked about, benzos and opiates together have a synergistic respiratory depression that increases the risk of overdose. And so we want to get people who are on both off. Now the question is, do you take them off of the opiate or off of the benzodiazepine? And that's a clinical decision you've got to make. But they highlight in this article is that pick one, don't taper both, because you don't want people in benzodiazepine and opiate withdrawal at the same time. So since this article is about benzodiazepine dependence, the author says basically keep them on a stable dose of their opiates while you're tapering off their benzodiazepines. there are some adjunct medications that actually can be helpful in getting patients off of benzodiazepines with their taper with fewer symptoms and to make the taper more easy to tolerate. The first one is carbamazepine and the author recommends a dose of 200 milligrams BID. And that's actually interestingly similar to the dose for alcohol withdrawal. There is no specified duration here though. You can also control physical symptoms with things like acetaminophen and anti-inflammatories, specifically non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Gabapentinoids can be also very helpful here, helping with things like anxiety and sleep. Tricyclic antidepressants or melatonin can be helpful for sleep. Some examples of tricyclics would be trazodone or doxepin. And antihistamines can be very helpful for anxiety, like hydroxyzine or diphenhydramine. If a patient has a comorbid anxiety disorder, you may also want to consider adding a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And then the other thing that the author did a great job of highlighting in this paper about benzodiazepine dependence is to realize that psychotherapy may have a role. And this is really to focus on managing the disorder that prompted their benzodiazepine use in the first place, again, like anxiety or insomnia. So not really an emergency department or acute care thing, but patients can be referred for cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness as ways to deal with those symptoms. And then the other thing is just counseling people on basic sleep hygiene, going to bed and waking up at similar times, avoiding naps, developing a bedtime routine can be very helpful for the insomnia. And the last thing the article ends with is my personal favorite prevention. Prevention is always easier than treatment particularly when it comes to drug dependence. So the author says, we really want to avoid treatment with benzodiazepines over two months. And I'm going to say it probably should be, we should avoid treatment with benzos for anything more than two to four weeks. The author also states, we want to avoid large dose increases. And then lastly, if you're starting a person on a benzodiazepine for a chronic problem, you have to have something else in the treatment plan. You can't just put someone on, lorazepam for anxiety with nothing else, you need to manage that anxiety like psychotherapy or a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor so that the benzo has something that's going to replace it to manage the anxiety. I thought that was a pretty good summary of benzodiazepine dependence, but it didn't answer all my questions about what I need to do in the emergency department. So here's what I see. A patient is sent to the emergency department by a drug treatment program out of concern for the risk of seizures secondary to benzodiazepine dependence as the patient's being admitted into the program. The person takes a total of 8 milligrams of alprazolam or Xanax daily, divided QID. And my question is what do I do? Do I put them on diazepam? Do I put them on clonazepam? What dose do I start at? And How do I know that that's the right dose? And we'll talk about those specific questions. Other questions that come up in my mind that are a little harder to answer is, how do I know that they're actually on eight milligrams? Are they exaggerating their dose out of fears of withdrawal? As in, if the patient says they use 12 milligrams a day, will the doctor give me 12 milligrams a day? I'm afraid of withdrawal. Additionally, what if they still have a pretty significant benzodiazepine use disorder and they're exaggerating the dose because they like the euphoria of benzodiazepines and they want more. Additionally, in my community, if you buy alprazolam on the street, it's 90% of the time not alprazolam, it's usually fentanyl or a dark web benzodiazepine. In other words, A benzodiazepine that's not legal in the U.S. that's being bought on the dark web and imported. In my community, we have flu and atizolam. The other question is, can I find out what they've been taking as far as benzodiazepines on the local prescription drug monitoring program? How am I going to figure out if they're taking a friend's medications? Those questions are a little bit more challenging, and I'll give you some suggestions towards the end of the podcast, but I'm going to go back to the first question is, this patient, let's say they're actually on eight milligrams of Alprazolam daily. What do I do to manage their dependence? I looked online pretty extensively between just a basic Google search and PubMed. And there's not a lot of data here. There are benzodiazepine equivalency charts that can help convert from long acting benzos to short acting benzos and back to long acting benzos. And we'll go over that in just a little bit. But when it comes to the question, how much do I start? There's not a lot of data here. I did find a World Health Organization guideline from 2009 called Clinical Guidelines for Withdrawal Management and Treatment of Drug Dependence in Close Settings. And they basically recommend that you take whatever dose of benzodiazepine they're on, calculate the equivalent dose of diazepam, and then start them on that dose to begin the taper to a maximum of 40 milligrams of diazepam and I went, okay, but what if patients are on higher doses? What do I do with that? We'll come back to that in just a second. And these 2009 World Health Organization guidelines basically say, once you've got the patient on that first dose of diazepam, you're going to want to keep them on that dose for about a week and then you can start tapering. And I still don't have the answer to the question of what do you do when they're on a much higher dose of benzodiazepines than the equivalent of 40 milligrams of diazepam. So now's probably a pretty good time to start thinking about the benzo equivalencies because I think you'll find and be surprised that some of the medications are much more potent than you realized. So there are a number of benzodiazepines and I'm going to go ahead and focus on the most common four. I'm actually going to use brand names because when I use the generic names, they all end in PAM and so they tend to sound the same and it's hard to differentiate. So common benzodiazepines would include Alprazolam or Xanax, Clonazepam or clonopin, Diazepam or Valium, and Lorazepam and Ativan. And we're going to focus on those four. There are some others like epoxide, which is Librium, and oxazepam, which is Serax. but we're going to focus on the big four, Xanax, clonopin, Valium, and Ativan. We're going to start with Xanax, Alprazolam. When you think of Xanax, think of short-acting and potent. It comes on within about 30 to 90 minutes. It lasts about six to 27 hours, and it's 10 times more potent than diazepam. So a 05 milligram dose of Xanax is the same as five milligrams of diazepam or Valium. So there's that tenfold factor. So if somebody's on just a half milligram of Xanax a day, I didn't realize that was the equivalent of five milligrams of Valium. The next one is clonazepam or clonopin, and think high potency, medium to long duration. The onset is in one to four hours and the half-life is 18 to 50 hours. And it also is a factor of 10 more potent than Valium. So 0.5 of clonopin is the same as five of Valium. On to the next one, lorazepam or Ativan. This one you can think of moderate potency, short acting. The onset comes on in two to four hours. It lasts 10 to 20 hours. And it is five times more potent than Valium. So one milligram of Ativan, also known as lorazepam, is the same as five milligrams of Valium, also known as diazepam. So it's that five-fold is the factor difference. And then the last one, diazepam or Valium, think less potent, but very long-acting. It comes on within about 30 to 60 minutes, and the half-life is anywhere from 40 to 120 hours. So just cycling back, 40 milligrams of Valium is equivalent to 4 milligrams of Xanax, 4 milligrams of Clonopin, and 8 milligrams of Ativan. So now that you understand the relative potencies, my patient on 8 milligrams of Xanax daily is on the equivalent of 80 milligrams of Valium daily. So going back to that World Health Organization recommendation from 2009, that 40 milligram peak seems way too low. So I went to the literature to say, what do we do with these high dose Benzo patients? The first I found was a case report from the journal called therapeutic advances in psychopharmacology in 2017. And this was a case of a young man using anywhere from 20 to 25 milligrams of lorazepam, also known as Ativan, per day. And the title of the article was Successful Withdrawal from High-Dose Benzodiazepine in a Young Patient Through Electronic Monitoring of Polypharmacy, a Case Report in an Ambulatory Setting. And right off the bat, the authors acknowledge that there are some major issues with a lack of consensus or data on what to do with these really high-dose benzodiazepine patients, and I quote, quote, to our knowledge, there is no well-established protocol for high-dose benzodiazepine withdrawal management, end quote. So what did they do in this case? Well, they decided that they were going to calculate an equivalent dose of a long-acting benzodiazepine, which would be equivalent to the patient's baseline use of 20 to 25 milligrams of lorazepam daily. And again, don't forget, there's a factor of five between lorazepam and diazepam. So the equivalent dose of diazepam or Valium would be 125 milligrams a day. That's a ton. So what they did in this case is they actually used clonazepam or clonopin, which is a mid to long acting benzo. And they started him on a dose of 16 milligrams daily. And they don't say why, but that's the equivalent of 32 milligrams of lorazepam daily. So they actually went higher than his baseline use, and they don't specify why. And then they successfully titrated the patient off of his lorazepam and off of the clonazepam entirely within 28 weeks. And just to clarify, the titration was done after they made an initial switch from lorazepam to the equivalent dose of clonazepam, and then they slowly titrated the clonazepam. I next went to what seems to be the Bible for most practicing physicians, which is up to date, and I looked at the article called Benzodiazepine Use Disorder by Taewoo Park. The author in this article points out that most patients, even those on high doses of benzodiazepines, up to an equivalent of 100 milligrams of diazepam, can undergo successful tapers in the outpatient setting, which is good. We don't want to be admitting all these people because the tapers take so long. It just is not feasible to put them in the hospital for that long. UpToDate recommends the following taper, reduce the dose by 25 to 50% every one to two weeks, over six to 10 weeks. And I think depending on how much a patient starts with at baseline, a higher baseline dose may take a slower and longer taper as we've discussed. And as far as determining the starting dose, they made the following recommendation in this article from up to date, quote, we add up the total daily dose and switch to a single long acting agent at that equivalent dose, end quote. So they're basically saying, if you're on eight milligrams of alprazolam daily, switch to 80 milligrams of diazepam daily, that's the equivalent dose and start there. Now, when I dug a little deeper elsewhere, outside of PubMed, I did find some guidelines that recommend starting at a slightly lower dose than 100% of baseline. The Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services actually recommends starting with an equivalent dose at 50 to 75% of the baseline dose. The City of Philadelphia Community Behavioral Health recommends starting at 70 to 75% of the baseline dose. And actually, the VA has a guideline called helping patients taper from benzodiazepines from 2013. And they actually give an example taper where the patient is on the equivalent of 40 milligrams of diazepam daily, and they make the baseline dose 35 to start the taper. So that's a 12.5% decrease from the baseline dose to the first dose beginning the taper. So that's a ton of information. I'm gonna sum up some take-home points that I think are most helpful. Take-home point number one. Benzodiazepine dependence develops within weeks of use with 50% of people using them for greater than one month becoming dependent. Number two, why do we care? The answer is because cessation of chronic benzodiazepine theory results in withdrawal when patients are dependent on benzodiazepines. Mild withdrawal is going to be symptom rebound like anxiety and insomnia. Moderate withdrawal is going to be muscle tension, spasms, sweating, anxiety, sleep disturbance, and mood swings. And severe withdrawal, which is again the boogeyman, what we're trying to avoid involves seizures, delirium, and psychosis. Take home point number three, the treatment of benzodiazepine dependence is best done with a single long-acting benzodiazepine, and the evidence appears to be best for using diazepam. Again, we are trying to prevent withdrawal by slowly tapering with a long-acting agent. Now, what dose should be your starting dose when you begin their taper? And the recommendation I'm going to make here is you calculate an equivalent dose of their baseline benzodiazepine use, and you convert it to a long-acting agent. Start the patient on an initial dose of the long-acting agent, 75 to hundred percent of their baseline. Don't forget, you've got to consider these potency factor conversions. It's a factor of 10 for alprazolam and clonazepam over diazepam. And it's a factor of five for lorazepam over diazepam. So here's an example. Alprazolam, two milligrams twice daily is four milligram of alprazolam total. Again, that's Xanax. That's equivalent to 40 milligrams of diazepam or Valium daily. Your starting dose to just stabilize the patient as you begin the taper would be 30 to 40 milligrams as a starting dose, and then the taper can begin from there. You also want to work with your clinics and treatment programs that you're referring to to set up tapering algorithms. And again, for us in the acute care setting in the emergency department, we're not really worried about that taper, but it also might just be understanding what's going to happen to give the patient an idea of what to expect. One of our local treatment programs actually uses clonazepam. If you remember, that's a moderate to long half-life, so that's very reasonable. They calculate the equivalent dose of baseline benzo use in clonazepam, start the patient at 75 to 100% of their baseline, and then they begin decreasing slowly, and their rate is actually a half milligram every seven days. Take-home point number four. Adjunct medications can be helpful and may also reduce the seizure risk. Think about gabapentinoids, like gabapentin, 300 milligrams TID. Think about carbamazepine, and the dose there is 200 milligrams BID. In my practice, I use a ton of gabapentin and not much carbamazepine, so I'm probably going to use gabapentin as I'm very comfortable with it. For sleep, consider tricyclic antidepressants or melatonin. And for anxiety, consider starting a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor or an antihistamine. My personal favorite for anxiety is 25 milligrams of hydroxyzine TID. Take-home point number five. There are some pitfalls you need to be aware of. Number one, think about getting a urine toxicology screen in the emergency department or the acute care setting to figure out what's in their system. Is that alprazolam they say they're taking really fentanyl? Number two, check your local prescription drug monitoring program to confirm doses if you can. Number three, use collateral data. If a drug treatment program is sending someone in for benzodiazepine dependence, try to find out what the program thinks the patient's using as far as benzodiazepines. You can also ask family members too. And if you're still not sure you may want to consider giving people a test dose followed by a period of observation, even overnight, to see how people respond. Meaning if someone says they're on four milligrams of alprazolam or Xanax a day, you can convert that over to diazepam or Valium, that's going to be 40 milligrams. You might put them in the hospital for 24 hours with a dose of 10 milligrams of diazepam QID just to see how they do. It may take a little bit of time when you're unsure about the baseline dose. And take home point number six, for these high dose benzo patients, there's just not a lot of research. Get expert consultation. Reach out to a local colleague in addiction medicine, or you can also reach out to some of the clinician substance use hotlines or warm lines that I outlined in episode two. All right, everyone, that's a wrap. I learned a ton putting this episode together. I hope you found it helpful, and I hope it's going to help you on your next shift. Hoping you're having a great day. Thanks for listening.